RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thursday morning is Money Talks Morning on RCR. Every Thursday at this time, Fazan Arani joins us to talk about the world of money. Joining the money dots is probably the best way of putting it. Fazan, welcome back. Good to have you back again. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good morning to all. Okay, the economy hasn't collapsed yet in the last <laughs> week. The week no, it hasn't gone. yet. Yes. Though but there's, but there's gray clouds everywhere. Is it heading to still heading towards the inevitable, the way you see it, right? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And we've let's, got some headlines for our listeners too. Yeah, we, let's look at some of the big stories of the week, and that's what we're going to do as part of uh, Money Talks. Now we're going to have a look at the stories and keep you up to date with the latest news as well as you know the thinking on it. Okay. Let's start with this story, and it's uh, reported on multiple news sites, but I'm looking at the Financial Times. Global financial watchdog warns of further challenges and shocks ahead. Oh, dear. Right. Right. You're, you're you want to climb into that? Voice effect, yes. Great, great uh, You want to climb effect. into that one, Farzan? Uh, first of all, they're right, aren't they? To of course they are. Of yeah, course they are. And they're warning us because they have to give us a heads up saying, hey, guys, we told you. We're not all clear yet. Uh, there's grey storm clouds everywhere. So we're warning you, just be mindful. And this was done uh, literally um, this week at the G20 Leaders Summit in New Delhi. Uh, if most people might know, India is uh, presiding over the G20 Summit this year. Uh, so it's obviously going to be happening in India. And yep. it's Glass Knot, who's the chair of the Basel-based Financial Stability Board. If people know Basel is in Switzerland, and they are the ones who created uh, some kind of uh, rules and regulations after the global financial crisis. Uh, and um, he's clearly saying the global economic recovery is losing momentum. I don't know. Well, was I there know. a recovery? Exactly. Yeah. That's the point I was trying to make. There was never a recovery. If you keep dropping interest rates lower and lower to mask over the problem, they're calling it a recovery, right? And they're saying it's losing momentum and obviously the effects of the rise in interest rates in major economies are increasingly being felt. No wonder. So there was never a recovery, mate. It was all uh, just uh, filled in with the gaps with lower and lower interest rates because people were under such dead burdens. And now they're coming out and telling us, right? And they're sort of getting ahead of the G20. And this is interesting because, what, a week and a half ago, the BRICS nations met um, most of them were there in person, Vladimir coming in via the Zoom. And the interesting thing about that was the new nations that were included in there, Iran, I think, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, um, six in total, can't remember. Egypt, there was Egypt, Egypt in okay. there as well. I'm trying to think of the other two. I think there was uh, one more African country. I can't remember which ones. But as I'd mentioned there as well, they weren't going to but people were talking about go back currency and uh, I, I clearly mentioned beforehand that they weren't going to talk about that at this stage. But what has happened is with Iran, UAE and Saudi Arabia, now three of the countries, they've been invited. I just remembered one more, Argentina as well. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. They've been invited. Think about energy, petrol, diesel, all of that. Who controls most of that in the world now? Well, the BRICS nations do now, don't they? With If you've got Russia and you've got Saudi Arabia... Okay. Yes, UAE and Iran as well. So yeah. if people think that Iran, East, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, Middle East is where the oil is. Just think about what this does. Uh, commodities, as I said, um, the world's going to wake up. The Western world's going to wake up one day thinking, oh, we can't print any more dollars because you can't print oil, mate. And this is the thing. 
that's the hard rude awakening coming for the Western democracies who have lived beyond their means in the last 30, 40 years because of all this magical money. Well, uh, Brent crude oil went through $90 a barrel for the first time since, I think, the GFC. Um, no, it's been higher. It has been higher. Okay, well, it's it, war and all that it's happened. For, it's for a few few years it's been below. Okay, it's gone above, let's say. And that was because, the story I read, that Russia has constrained supply. So already Russia says, no, nah, 300,000 less barrels a day, and already the, the barrel price for everyone's over $90. So that's that's the leverage you're talking about, right? Exactly. And without without oil, nothing around the world works. It's in ships, whether it's diesel or petrol, doesn't matter. It's in ships, so you won't get your food and you can't import, export anything. Everything shuts down. As I mentioned, I think it was last week or the week prior, energy is what runs the economy, not fictional dollar digits on your computer or paper money with legal tender written on it because Russia can just say, we're reducing reducing production. If some people also were following some of the headlines during the uh, Ukraine war at certain times as well uh, and the pipeline that was blown up, Russia also just went, hey, we're just doing routine maintenance on a pipeline, so this one's going to be shut for a week. What is Europe going to do? And obviously, last year, Europe had a really mild winter, and that's why they got out. It's going to be fun this winter in Europe, I can tell you that. Yeah. Okay, and there seems to be a – I get a sense of a competitive kind of situation between BRICS now and G20. So – those blocks are almost in competition with each other. And in that story, I want to just um, mention this, and that was this gentleman, Not, who is the chair of the G20, or the banking group anyway. And I'll just find uh, the line. Bear with me. We'll have to edit here. Yeah, it's okay. There's a line in there which says there will certainly be further challenges and shocks facing the global financial system in the months and years oh, to come. Yeah, here, here it is. <clears throat> so he's saying the potential for further market stress underscored the case for fully and consistently implementing global bank capital rules agreed by regulators in 2017 and due to come into force by 2023. What's he talking about there? What's he's called, yeah, he's talking about the Basel requirements and all that stuff. So, oh, so they're the sitting crisis. there ready to be implemented. Well, no, after the global financial crisis, they they, they call Basel, uh, I think it was Basel 1, Basel 2, Basel 3. They gradually put implications on all the banks where they had certain tier 1, tier 2 capital ratios that had to be maintained. Because obviously during the global financial crisis, those liquidity issues and the uh, uh, the Swiss government had, and all governments around the world had to bail out the banks. Um, so obviously they said, oh, this is a moral hazard because we're using public money to bail out the banks. Um, so they had put these liquidity requirements. And that's why even with the banks around the world, this tier one, tier two capital ratios that they have to maintain, as we've discussed. And that is because we've talked about that 10 to one ratio, right? Nine to one, where they have to hold on to $10 only to lend out another $90 into the economy. So they kind of beefed that up from some of them from 10 to 12% or 13%. Is that enough, though? Uh, not really. Of course, when there's a bank run, we know what happens with the bank uh, run, right? How is 10% capital going to be enough? And that's why they call bank runs. It's 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 something that this might... Um, there's something, a couple of things in there. 
What most people didn't realize after the global financial crisis, the European and the Basel Committee, and this is just for some listeners who might know what I'm talking about, they created gold into a tier one asset. Most people don't know this, but gold was classified as a tier one asset. That should tell some people listening what I'm talking about. But during the global financial crisis, this might lead into something. So obviously authorities around the world haven't learned anything. Because during the global financial crisis, one of the biggest banks in Switzerland, let's give you an example, UBS, had a government bailout, right? Because they were illiquid. And at that stage, the government bailout was $6 billion. Right. Emergency liquidity provided by the Swiss government to UBS. And now if you fast forward, so if all these rules were put into place, and if you fast forward to what was March or April this year, we talked about Silicon Valley Bank and those American banks going down, but do most of our listeners hope, hopefully know Credit Suisse, which is one of the biggest Swiss banks and global banks, they call them GSIBs, globally systematically important banks, went under, right? And who bought them? It was UBS. Uh, and 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 now now think about the numbers. So right? so, so UBS got bailed out. Well, no credit. Well, this oh. is this is what I want listeners to now kind of understand because I think today what we're going to discuss in detail is the RBNZ and the government guarantees on New Zealand deposits. Yeah. But in global financial crisis, UBS actually bailed out the government bailed out UBS, right? Which is one of the Swiss banks and private yep. wealth and asset management business. So after all these uh, interest rate increases around the world, Credit Suisse was in trouble, obviously for totally different reasons, but Credit Suisse and UBS are competitors and the two of the biggest banks in Switzerland and globally important banks. So Credit Suisse, when it went under, was bought by UBS. So this is the new way of what they're doing. They're saying, no, no, look, we're not doing a bailout. Now, as I said, in some countries, there's a bail-in legislation, including New Zealand, But UBS bought Credit Suisse, so they showed it as, oh, look, the government's not bailing anyone out anymore. It's just UBS will swallow up Credit Suisse, just like in America, JP Morgan swallowed up one of the smaller banks recently. But now think through this. UBS bought the entire Credit Suisse business for $3.25 billion only, but UBS got extensive government guarantees and liquidity provisions, right? Of how much? 108 billion. So they bought Credit Suisse for 3.25 billion, but at the back end, the government has guaranteed UBS with the liquidity provision of 108 billion. So is that not an indirect bailout on the back end, anyways? Just saying, just take over this failed bank and we'll kind of give you little liquidity provisions on the side just because you're taking over. Yeah, we're not actually giving you anything now, but boy, if you need it, it's here, right? It's really well, well it, it, it's sitting here and we're guaranteeing you this money as well, yeah. right? Um, the other thing is now that UBS has bought out Credit Suisse's business, it gets to dump all the rubbish stuff in a separate entity altogether. But this makes UBS one of the biggest wealth and asset management uh, organizations in the world. So we, not not the biggest, one of the biggest. Yeah. And guess what the number is? Five trillion. So we've talked about BlackRock being big. Five trillion. Now, UBS has taken over Credit Suisse's business, uh, wealth and asset management business, which is very profitable. With Now that UBS book is total $5 trillion, and the bonds were written off. So this is 
Again, the reason I'm mentioning all of this, because today we'll go into the whole New Zealand, what the Reserve Bank has come out and what the government is now trying. Literally this week, they've announced, made a few announcements about the government uh, guarantee on bank deposits in New Zealand. Uh, what happened in this Credit Suisse example was 17.3 billion of bonds were wiped out. And okay. shareholders had well, no When say you say wiped what out, what, what, just like cancel, don't exist? Cancel, don't exist. Gone. Gone. So if you bought bonds and credit Suisse, too bad. Zero. Gone. Written off. So, the, so that's part of being an unsecured creditor in a way. Is that exactly is that, that Exactly. Exactly. And the shareholders mm -hmm. were also, the shareholders of both banks had no say in it. And the government stepped in, let UBS swallow up Credit Suisse. And this, what I'm just trying to highlight is they bought Credit Suisse for $3.25 billion only when they themselves had been given $6 billion back in 2008 and rescued themselves. And now the have this huge making of the system, and have this huge uh, um, backstop that the government yes. is sitting there with. Boy, talk about uh, can't fail. <laughs> exactly, too big to fail, right? And they say it's not a bailout, but the government then, on the other hand, also still guarantees this behind the scenes. So it's yeah. all a mockery of the system, right? The banks are always going to be looked after, whether they call it too. Well, obviously, the friend, the um, Swiss government, the last thing it wants is. UBS, because it's like it, it'd look like Switzerland going down, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? If well, it was that. Yeah, yeah, it is the biggest bank, well, in Switzerland now. And yeah. globally, also, it's one of the most important banks. So it would be in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, JP Morgan is the biggest. So in America, also, JP Morgan has quietly, when this started happening in March and April, JP Morgan also took over one of, um, I can't remember the exact bank, but they took over one of the banks. So, and I think in one of our uh, radio conversations I've already mentioned, the bigger banks will swallow the smaller banks yeah. and yeah. governments will have side little agreements saying we'll give you liquidity uh, provisions for doing this and doing that. But what is that? That is a government bailout. They're saying we're not using taxpayer money, but it is taxpayer money. Where did the government get the money from in the first place? Yeah, of course. All right. So let's uh, talk about New Zealand. And I always thought that there was a, um, a plan or a system that if there was a run on a bank or a bank collapse, that depositors' money was kind of there up to a certain amount. But but that, I think, was like that for a while. But it that hasn't been operating like that, has it? In the meantime, no one was covered should that have happened. Am I correct? Yes, you're absolutely correct. And I think I've highlighted that, Paul, is also – during the global financial crisis, Australia put something in place. So New Zealand had no option but to put something in place. Uh, that's right. I remember that. As, yeah. I, as soon as that was finished, New Zealand was cheeky and took it off. And most people don't realize that. Uh, everyone around the world, other than New Zealand and Israel, have a government guarantee on their bank deposits. So that's UK, USA, Canada, Australia, all of them have it. Australia has a $250,000 government guarantee on bank deposits, and that's per financial institution. So let's say I'm an Australian citizen. I could have $250,000 under my name at, let's say, a CBA, which is the ASB parent, Commonwealth Bank. I might have 250 at Westpac and 250 at, let's say, National Australia Bank, which is the BNZ parent. All good. I'm still good because the government will still give me my 250 You don't want the bank. lump sum in one, right? That's how yes. you're going to lose. Yes. So it is the government guarantees per person or per entity 
and per financial institution. So I might have a trust, let's say, for example. So I might be with, let's say, example, ANZ maybe. So I might have one under my personal name at ANZ and I might have one under my business, my trust name under an ANZ and still per financial institution and per entity as well. The one thing where people, in, and this is, I'm just giving the Australian example so people can understand in the future, banks are being taken over by other banks. In Australia, they have this thing called St. George and Bank of Melbourne. In different states, it's called St. George Bank. And in uh, Victoria, it's called Bank of Melbourne. But they're owned by West Bank. So if you now have 250 at Bank of Melbourne, if I lived in Melbourne, let's say, for example, and I had 250 at West Bank, then I'm only covered for 250 because Bank of Melbourne is Westpac. The uh, parent gotcha. is yeah. Westpac. And so you've got to be aware of that. <laughs> those little cheeky things as well. Yes, exactly. That that That's your strain version. So now, what's happened this week, Matt, and I, I'd highlighted to people, some people think that the government talking about putting a government guarantee in place, which means there is one. As, I, as I've mentioned in one of our previous recordings, they started at 30,000 New Zealand dollars. Then they said fifty thousand New Zealand dollars, and now they've agreed on hundred thousand New Zealand dollars. So the government's passed this thing called the Deposit Takers Act a couple of years back, and they're obviously working on all the legislation. And now they're talking, and this is what I want to highlight to listeners that they had. I clearly mentioned nothing's going to happen to Lendo twenty twenty four, and in the recent document, so. You'll find headlines in New Zealand saying the government's done this. Uh, so the Reserve Bank of New Zealand is doing this amazing stuff. There's an article on stuff. And uh, I think uh, also interest.co.nz where uh, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has come out and said, this is a seismic shift in financial services regulation, right? Seismic shift. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Because we're so far behind the eight ball. But then most people don't realize is just click on the bloody link they've given you on the article, read through the document. So you realize what they tell you, it's coming into effect late 2024, and they assume it's going to come into effect in October 2024. So we're more than still 13, 14 months away from it coming into effect. What could and happen in the meantime? Because that's really what you got to think, right? What could yeah, happen I'm, in the meantime? And why Why would it take that long? You exactly. Why, for a whole year. Why should it take this long? That's the one good first question. We saw what happened in America recently. Even though they had bail-in regulation, they did not do a bail-in because, as I explained to our listeners, if you do a bail-in and everyone loses their deposits, not only is, firstly, you lose confidence in the economy because everyone's losing their deposits. If I'm a business, I can't pay my staff wages the next week. And then that's a roll-on effect. The second thing is if the bail-in, let's say, one bank, most people will go and start withdrawing all their money from other banks as well. So that actually makes the problem worse. Yeah. Because a contagion. Exactly. It's a contagion. Exactly. So if you bail in, they do that. So obviously, USA used their common sense and went, we're not going to do this. So after the global financial crisis, it was a bailout. They said, oh, this was very bad for uh, PR and for public perception that we're using taxpayer money. So they put in legislation a bail in. Uh, when it push, push came to shove, nobody did a bail-in because the economy would kind of collapse very yeah. quickly within a week. Now, the funny thing is New Zealand is still one of those countries that has, and some of the people who reach out to me, I've highlighted them, and I've said it on this radio station as well. Just Google something as simple as OBR, which is Open Bank Resolution, and RBNZ in Google and see what it says. They show you a cute little cartoon character saying when... Oh. 
if and when the bank uh, fails, we might or might not bail in some of your deposits. So firstly, right now, we don't even have a deposit scheme. But then Reserve Bank of New Zealand has this OBR document where they've been given authority to bail it in. Now, just slowing down a little bit, back in October 22, the government decided not to give the RBNZ statutory bail-in powers, but since then that's been changed. So that was just last year. The government said, no, we're not going to give RBNZ bail-in powers. What changed between now, last year, and now for the government to have turned that and given the RBNZ bail-in powers to do this? Yeah, why would you, I guess, pass over that power to the bank, solely the bank? Because that would suggest that the politicians might not be, or parliament might not be in a position to authorise something like that. It needs to happen kind of automatically or be in their hands. I don't know. What's your theory? Well, why would you give the Reserve Bank of New Zealand those kind of powers beforehand, right? So they've done it. They know what's coming. It's it's you're anticipating something. Yeah, you're anticipating something. Oh, so the blood is not on the hands of the politicians. Well, yeah, we give the RBNZ that authority but to make that decision. They can themselves. say, "Oh, it's the RBNZ that that's that's what the law says, and they're independent, so they make it's not us. We're not we're not making that decision. That's losing all your money." Yeah, in fact, if anything, we put in a deposit guarantee, right? But again, this deposit guarantee only comes into effect again. It says October twenty four, but if you actually read some of the other articles in the document. This, this government guarantee comes by a levy that is going to be placed on the banks at a certain percentage, all right? And this thing itself, I just want to read this. So if you give me a second, they, they actually clearly tell you. Yep. Okay. The journey to bring the DTA, which is your uh, Deposit Takers Act, uh, into force will be a long one. The Reserve Bank's current planning will see full implementation in July 2028, a year before the backstop provided for the Act of July 2029. The DCS will be put in place first, which is your DCS stands for Depositor Compensation Scheme. Okay, So the DCS will be put in place first. It is expected to come into force in late 2024. In bracket, they put October. But they themselves have said, that the full implementation, July 2028. So now I want listeners to kind of connect the dots. They're going to put a levy on the banks. So we've already spoken about this. The banks will pay out of their pocket for a levy, which gets sit, sits in a bank account for this. Oh, so they need to accumulate scheme. funds in that. Is that why they Yes, that that's the whole point. So they still need to accumulate the funds. And they're saying by 2028, we'll get there. So they're putting a namesake backstop of $100,000, but the levy comes after the fact. They're thinking about before the fact and after the fact. So, so how much would they have? Okay, so there's a lot of deposited money, I'm assuming, in banks. So let's say there was worst-case scenario, there was a big run on, what, two or three or four of the major banks? I mean, when something like that happens, it spreads. Is it? Could it involve all banks, do you think? Could be. One fails, the others start failing because everyone starts going literally withdrawing the money, and this is how contagion spreads, right? If you think one of the bigger banks in New Zealand was in trouble – why yeah. do you think the government's had to put government guarantees? Because common sense, if you see one bank failing, yeah, other business think, models oh. that yeah, and other business models that different. It's so, not like I'm Apple and Samsung, I'm that different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um okay, so they've got to head that off at the past. But 
How much would they have? To, would they have to? They'd have to print a lot of that, wouldn't they? Because they don't have that amount of money sitting in their vault. Number one, the terrace. They don't. And and this thing, the funny thing is, the fund says it'll cover zero point five to the, the the fund they're trying to get to is six hundred million to one point four billion. They're joking, right? What is that going to cover? That's so small change. That's small is, change, isn't it? Exactly. In this game, exactly. So now, just listeners, just kind of connect the dots. There's no money. There's going to be no money, and there will be again a bailout behind the scenes. They'll write off debt. They'll confiscate your deposits, uh, most probably. And this is the funny thing: the, the the other difference between our country, well, New Zealand, compared to some of the um, other countries. In the article, they try and say, "Oh, because of hundred thousand, it'll protect about ninety three percent of depositors." So they're talking about the little guys, some of us, right? Yeah, of course. But in Europe and UK, they have this thing called insured depositors, right? They're explicitly excluded from a bail-in law, anyways. If the government re- government and RBNs had really wanted to do this, they could have just said any depositor in New Zealand, personal depositors under 100K, is an insured depositor. It doesn't matter. We can never bail them in. So in New Zealand, what they're trying to say is we, we, we're giving you 100K guarantee. So most people go, oh, I'm covered for up to 100K. But in New Zealand, they have this thing called OBR, which is a bail-in. So they could still bail you in. Oh, so if you had 700K. Yeah. You could lose you could 600 bag, anyways. but but the, the rest can go in a bail-in. Gone. Could be. They might decide 50% of that, 60% of that. And remember, as I just said, giving you the American example, there are people, there are big businesses that have millions sitting in a bank account. There's just, just paying, if you have 200, 300 staff, just the salary for weekly yeah. or fortnightly goes in, starts going into the thousands, right? So some of these businesses have big money in their bank deposits, they're not so let's say I'm a Fonterra or a big, big, big construction company. What what good is the government giving me a hundred thousand back? So this is what happened in America. So this is all show what they're doing. And they're saying yes, 93% of depositors will be protected. But what I'm trying to say is in Europe and UK, all the, all of Europe, there's insured depositors are explicitly excluded from bail-in laws. And the, they have paid insurance to be covered. No, no. But the government after the global financial crisis said the little guy should not take a hit. So right. me, you, mom and dad, people who have 50, 100, again, in Europe, the amount's bigger. In Australia, the amount's 250K. So they're saying, no, no, these guys are insured directly. We're not even going to bail, not even going to talk about bailing them in. Right, okay. So they're excluded. Oh, yeah, because of their direct, yeah, yeah, okay. They, I see what you're saying. They're excluded from it altogether, right? But over a certain level, though, they're not. Am I right? Well, above a certain level, they're not, right? But still, they're excluded. They're insured depositors. In New Zealand, even if they put in 100K, you're not excluded. So they could still bail you in. Even under the 100K, they might. I'm not saying it will happen, but they could because New Zealand's the only country which has this OBR, which is a bail-in. They're telling right. you that they will convert your shares. And I'm not saying it'll happen to depositors because the first thing they're going to do, and, I, and I'd let a lot of... New Zealand, Australian investors think through this because, as I mentioned in one of our prior recordings, they said they will give you shares of the broke bank. And I have mentioned this before in this radio conversation. They will turn it into equity, equity of a bank that has just failed. Yeah, so that's not really an equivalent to having the money (laughs) or the currency to spend. That could be a dud investment, not worth anything potentially. Exactly. So what is a bail-in? A bail-in is imposing losses on creditors. 
That yep. that is a simple explanation. It's imposing losses on creditors. Unsecured liabilities are written down and converted into equity. This is the wording on their own document. So unsecured liabilities. Now start thinking about what we mentioned in our first, second, or third week. When you give the when you give a bank your deposits, you have lent the money. So you're an unsecured creditor of the yep. bank because you're yep. unsecured. Whereas when the bank lends you, it's a secured debt because your mortgage is supported by the residential property you're living in. When the bank gives you a credit card, that's unsecured. Yep. So there's Hence a very the big difference. But yes, there's a very big difference between secured and unsecured debt. So now if you have a deposit in a, in a bank, you are an unsecured creditor. Who are the unsecured creditors? There's two. One is deposits and one is bonds. Bonds right. are what people are buying in their banks. So you see how recently also in the last three to four months, there's a few New Zealand banks who have uh, put out for subscription some of their bonds. I would just tell investors in New Zealand and Australia to start reading the fine prints under there. Make sure what hierarchy is there. Is it secure or unsecured? Because I've seen banks giving you high interest and people go, oh, this is good. This is 6 7%. Why is the bank giving me 75 or 8% on an unsecured bond? So if you think you're getting a bond from whichever one of the big four banks in New Zealand, remember it's unsecured. You're better off putting the money in a term deposit rather yeah. than unsecured bond. Because your bond, as I given the Swiss example, could be completely written off and turned to zero, or they'll just give you equity. Is that how, in the big picture, is that how you flip to a um, CBDC? You bail in everyone <laughs> because mm -hmm. the system collapses to the point where not many people are left with any currency, let's say. That nullifies a lot of the debt right there or or contains it, you know, to that whatever they'll pay out as a compensation. It may be a hundred thousand here, two fifty K in Australia, so on and so forth you're mentioning. But above that, everything can be wiped. And that's a great moment. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's a great moment to flick the switch and come in with this digital currency. Yeah, it'd be lockstep one after the other, right? So uh, exactly how they exactly do it, we don't know. And you say, hey, they've taken my money. And they go, no, 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 no. You read the fine print. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an unsecured loan to the institution. Exactly. Right? It's not a deposit. It, it wasn't your money in the first place. You're an unsecured creditor. And again, if anyone knows anything about accounting, creditor and debtor. So you're an unsecured creditor to the bank because the bank owes you a deposit back. That's why it's giving you interest on your money. So depositors and bondholders lose in a bail-in. Now, what are, again, I'll just slow down a little bit. What the European, UK, all the other legislation says is depositors are protected. They are insured. Remember what we said, insurance, government yeah. insurance on this. They're insured depositors. So the first hit goes to the bondholders. Right. In New Zealand, the bail-in says, we'll apply the bail-in regardless. So bonds the reason, or deposits. Yeah. bonds or deposits. So in Europe, the reason they've done this is they understand mom and dads don't know the banking system. They're not in depth looking at the balance sheet of the banks every day. They don't know the credit ratings of the banks and how to read these big complex financial statements. So it incentivizes the sophisticated creditors, which are your uh, uh, superannuation funds, 
uh, wealth management funds, your hedge funds around the world. Just sophisticated, yeah, sophisticated creditors to monitor banks to prevent a collapse in the first place. But they're buying bonds, knowing they're riskier, whether secure or unsecured, and they could be written off. So in Europe and UK, they actually keep the depositors away from this moral hazard in the first place. New Zealand's gone, no, 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 we're not giving any depositor preference. We're just saying we're going to cover 100,000 and that will come into effect October 2024 from a fund that we are hoping to fund between now and 2028. So what do you think is going to happen? Either the government's going to bail out again because the system's going to collapse way before that. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Or CBDC, UBI. Well, that's what I was thinking. And hyperinflation because, okay, there you go, Paul. I guaranteed you $100,000 in your bank account, and so did I guarantee 93% of depositors around New Zealand. Now, 100000 multiplied by how many people have that kind of money. Do you imagine the amount of money that has to be created out of thin air in New well, Zealand? Well, that's, that's the thing. It's, and then what is 100000 buying you? That is where the people who are even looking at this legislation is saying, why is the Reserve Bank of North New Zealand just not doing the right thing from the start? Why are they so so? Again, I'm not saying they're purposely doing, but just brain dead. Why don't you just do it right from the start? Because if they do that and they make everyone whole, your hundred thousand is probably worth about ten thousand in the first place anyway. So they'll say, "Look, we put a hundred thousand dollar guarantee. We promised you that. Everyone got a hundred thousand, but now a car costs you a hundred thousand. Yeah, sorry, I'm a ten thousand car costs you a hundred thousand dollars. Nothing to do with us that it doesn't buy you a hundred thousand of what it used to buy you." Exactly. So again, start okay. thinking those those kind of terms. And so, so it's all in the timing. Do you think? So twenty twenty four October. That's when the the levying starts, right? Well, that's... no, no. The DCS comes into effect. So the DCS is your again your depositor compensation scheme comes. Yeah, but into they need the, they need the money in there. They don't have exactly. They don't have the money. They're going to charge levies, and that they clearly because when they say this. fully implemented by what was it twenty twenty eight twenty nine July twenty twenty eight. Okay, so fully implemented <laughs> kind of sounds like to me that's when we'll start paying if there's an issue. Yeah, yeah. All well, right, they'll have the money. They probably have just enough money by twenty twenty. What to cover one bank? To maybe cover one <laughs> tiny little bank, if that's, that's the case. Yeah, it's good a luck joke, with that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you know CBDC, what? CBDC. I can see that. I can see CBDC looming there on the horizon. Create the crisis, then let the people panic. People then go, government, help us. What is going on? It's these little bad banks. Oh, okay, don't worry. We were, we had this thing called CBDC. Problem, we reaction, on. solution. Solution. The solution's already yeah. up there, up their sleeve. And everyone says, oh, uh, and it's so convenient. You know. It's it's it also just makes you wonder is why did New Zealand take it off in the first place, and Australia's well, had it. I was, I was thinking Every about that. In the world has had it. The why answer to that, the answer to that question, Farzan, must be because they saw for the time that it was in place, and because Australia had done it, they didn't want uh, possibly people um, shifting money to Australia, which is could have happened from New Zealand, I guess. Exactly. But then they saw that that as a freak event. In the normal course of business, the risk is low, so we don't need to have it there. But now, obviously, you know, clouds on the horizon. There must be a perception that clouds are on the horizon or that there's some kind of dipping in confidence about, you know, putting your money in banks or, or doing whatever bonds that, that it has to be 
implemented again. But it's a global regime, isn't it? Are, are they aligning themselves with the best practice around the world? Is that what they're doing? That's what the article says. This is the stupidity and literal humor in this. Is they're saying now New Zealand's aligning with the best practices around the world. The whole point I'm trying to say is, let's say, for example, in December or January or March next year, let's say a bank in New Zealand collapses, most people will be lining up at their banks and taking out through internet banking, transferring the money. The contagion spreads. What is the government going to do? There is no government guarantee on 100 deposits till October 2024 in the first place. So what will they have to do? They will have to bail you out. They can't have 90% of the population not have money access to their money. So they will either bail you out, but they will say, you had 100,000, Paul. Look, we had this $100,000 guarantee. We make you hope for 40. How does that sound for now? Does that sound fair enough? We, we, we still well, work on the 60,000 for you. If you're on your knees, you probably you. take it. If you're on your <laughs> knees, you probably take it. Well, so exactly. again, you want to split up and put um, and put amounts you know, distributed so at least you can maximize the return. Well, right. distributed also and just hope that we get to October 2024 without anything. And again, and that's what I'm saying. If they just don't have the money right now because it's a levy on the banks, okay, the banks will have to pay into this and the funds will be ready by 2028. And that too also only about 1.1% of protected deposits. Yeah. It's a joke. There's never going to be money to for them to do it. So it is going to be a government bailout. And it'll be a government yeah. day bailout in form of CBDC, perhaps. The one thing also I want listeners to start thinking is before you invest in a bank's bonds, whether it's banks or building societies or whether it's these little finance companies, please ask your lawyers or somebody to read the fine print because you're not that smart an investor to understand because in this Deposit Takers Act and all of that stuff, they're also going to redefine who's going to be a bank and who's going to be a non non-deposit-taking association, which is the work that they're talking about till 2028. But make sure whether it says unsecured, whether it's subordinated debt or unsubordinated debt, because it's a hierarchy that comes of who gets paid first and who doesn't. So through previous examples, just remember, if you're unsecured, you're first of all in the line to take the first haircut. You want to be, if you're buying bonds, make sure you're covered bonds. Okay, which is secured by a pool of residential assets that most of the banks in New Zealand used to do after the global financial crisis, just like what happened in America. They're saying the other thing that can't be bailed in is tax liabilities of the bank to the IRD. So they're very smart. They want IRD to have the money, but everybody else will take a hit. Okay, so yeah. (laughs) So the bank owes a billion to IRD. No, no, no. First, IRD will get their billion, and then maybe we'll give the rest to whoever's got whatever left over. They do say something about an employer contribution to Kiwi Saver in there. And they also say about deposits held in trust or custodial capacity. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand too depth of this, but I'm just saying if your bigger bigger organizations start paying uh, or some bigger business start paying attention to these little things. But just one other thing I just wanted to cover, you know, a couple of weeks back, I had said, why did Grant Robertson come out and then say, uh, look, guys, we, we we need to cut all these little costs and stuff, and we need to keep our debt to GDP below 30%. Do you realize a few days later, Fitch Ratings comes out? This is New Zealand's, the New Zealand country as a rating. As I said, America was downgraded. Fitch Ratings gave us an AA plus stable outlook. So what most people, again, will not connect the dots is there's certain timing for these certain things that these finance ministers say and stuff because the New Zealand dollar was dropping, they're going into elections. So they have to be seen as being responsible. 
Okay, so they were sending out the smoke signals to the credit rating agencies. Yeah, we're going and- to pull back, guys. Don't worry. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're only going to be mindful. We're going to keep New Zealand expenditure under 30% of GDP. I know our currency is weak. And all so that, that wasn't stuff. for our benefit. <laughs> no, of course it wasn't. It's for your currency defense and it's for the country's rating. Because if the country's rating is dropped, can you imagine what will happen to our New Zealand dollar? AA yeah. plus is with a stable outlook is what we got last week. Well, that's probably what they, they really want. Okay, well, I think that's a good place to end this week's chat, and uh, we'll keep abreast of the stories uh, as we go through and do our money talks and also um, move off on on specific areas. And before you go, Farzan, just remind people how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, sure, man. As I've mentioned previously, just successsimplified.life. Uh, at the bottom of the page, get in touch, and um, I look forward to speaking to you. Farzan, good to have you again. Let's do it all again in a week <laughs> from now. Okay. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.